you're going to apply machine learning in a business context, you're going to need a lot of data. Algorithms across the board uh, will perform better with more data provided to them, particularly recent, uh, rich and relevant data. And there are companies whose entire business model is predicated on helping other companies make sense of and make use of their information and their data. Cloudera is one such company that does just this. Uh, and this week in the Tech Emergence podcast, we have the CTO of Cloudera, uh, Amr Awadala, uh, who originally was actually with Yahoo after uh, his his company called VivaSmart was acquired in the year 2000. Now he serves as CTO at Cloudera. And Amr speaks with us this week about where he sees data lakes and data warehouses uh, sort of play an important role in machine learning applications in business today. Uh, Cloudera is helping a variety of companies in uh, many countries and in many industries um, set up uh, data lakes to make sense of and make use of machine learning applications in their business. And he sort of breaks out the most common applications into three broad categories of how information is used to facilitate machine learning and kind of intelligent technologies in industry. An interesting way to sort of slice the market is Cloudera does a lot of this one-to-one consulting work. And I think he encapsulates some major use cases in business quite well. Hopefully this will garner ideas for the folks who are tuned in as to how maybe some of their own information might be put to work. And it seems safe to say that almost anybody running a company or considering the bottom line of a company who's tuned into this episode will resonate with at least one of the three major examples that he goes over. So I certainly got a lot out of this episode. I hope you do as well. Without further ado, this is Amr, CTO of Cloudera. So Amr, as an initial distinction, we're going to be talking about data lakes uh, today. Obviously, Cloudera is working a pretty pretty well exclusively in the sort of big data domain. How do you folks draw a distinction between the notion of a data warehouse and this newer term that probably most folks have heard a decent amount of buzz around, the data lake? Yeah, so uh, the industry or, uh, uh, overall does refer to it as the data lake. We at Cloudera use the term data hub instead, so Got enterprise it. Uh, data hub versus uh, enterprise data warehouse, but enterprise data hub and the data lake they are really the, the same thing. It's just it. what we call it versus what the industry at large seems to be calling it. And the the, the main difference really is the enterprise data warehouses were focused on SQL. So SQL were, was their genesis. Yep. And uh, and the characteristics of of SQL have uh, two sides. One side is the data itself tends to be very of course, well defined, well structured. You have you have columns, and the columns have types and labels. And then the 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 only way that you can actually ask questions of that data is using the the SQL language itself. So the data lake essentially is an evolution that became a natural uh, progression of the fact that we have now many other types of data besides uh, structured data. So hmm. 20, 20 years ago, when when mainly what we were doing with data is mainly accounting and and revenue and financials. Most of the data was uh, structured; it was all transactions that we're doing. But today we are capturing a lot more data, right? So, so there's mobile apps capturing a ton of uh, activity data. There is, of course, the, the internet with clickstream data. Uh, there is the Internet of Things or uh, smart, smart devices that are capturing data around us all the time: cameras, satellites, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so companies now have a lot more types and different forms of data and they needed two things first they needed a place where they can keep all of these data side by side so they can still use 
the PDF documents, with the emails, with the click streams, with the social media, with the transactions, all at the same time. So how can you bring different types of data together? But then also, how can you ask bigger questions out of that data? So mm-hmm. SQL is, is very good, and there's lots of things you can answer using the SQL language, uh, which we still support. All of the big data systems support SQL, but we wanted to be able to go beyond SQL for the problems and the type of questions that just cannot be answered by SQL. Very hard to do, as you know, uh, machine learning and, and, and SQL. Very hard yeah. to do social graph mining uh, using SQL. Very hard to do image recognition or uh, voice recognition or uh, video processing uh, using SQL. So we wanted to be able to go beyond SQL on the computation side, and we wanted to go beyond structured data on the storage side. And that's really what we refer to as the data lake. Got it. And and just to sort of paint the picture for the folks tuned in, I'm sure some of the people who are listening now are pretty familiar and sort of live in databases. Other people, maybe not as much. You talk about some kinds of questions that you can ask of the data that's easy enough in SQL, uh, and then some information that is, is just much harder. Maybe walk us through some of those examples of what would have maybe been impossible in SQL, but is possible now with these alternative ways uh, to store information, just kind of a a generic example of the kind of question you would not have been able to ask, you know, 15 years ago with just SQL stuff. Sure. Uh, I mean, first I will say that uh, it's not impossible to do in SQL. SQL has so many extensions. Many companies added more extensions. It's just very, very hard to do in SQL. So it's it's not natural to do in SQL, let's put it that way. So uh, SQL was really invented in the early days to serve the chief financial officer, right? So SQL was built to count stuff. So SQL is really good at counting stuff. Right, so I want to count how many transactions happened in the different U.S. states. Right, so let count star from my table were uh, grouped by state. Right, so SQL was rebuilt really for that kind of stuff, counting stuff very easily and across many dimensions. Uh, now, if you want to do a predictive model where you're trying to predict a future event given past events. Uh, SQL was not really built for that, right? That's more yeah. of a computational algorithm that you want to run, and there's different types of algorithms you can use to do predictive modeling. And um, it's, it becomes much more natural and easier to do something like that using uh, Spark uh, yeah. or using MapReduce. Uh, so, for example, we have a, a large hospital that we uh, work with, and uh, they built a system that can collect all of the signals that a baby, a uh, preborn baby, so babies that are born at six month old um, uh, so not a full-term pregnancy yeah and these these babies are still their brains are still not fully formed so they don't really know when to cry sometimes they cry when they're happy uh so it makes it very hard for the nurses to figure out what's going on yeah and what that company did is they analyzed all of the signals coming out of the baby uh some of these signals are the temperature the heart rate uh, some of them are motion how they're moving uh, around in their cribs uh, and some of that is their voices that they make and some of it is more involved like brain waves and and different signals from the body and by analyzing these signals and using some nurse experts who really know how to uh, figure out what's wrong with a baby, which label the data, they, they now came up with, an, with a predictive model that can show on a screen right on top of the baby words that explain what the baby is going through. So words will appear on the screen on top of the oh. preborn baby saying, I am hungry right now. Or I am, uh, uh, there's too much light in the room. Please turn the lights down. Or I am feeling too hot. We, we move me to a colder area or take my blanket off. So... We're able to put words in the baby's mouth using the signals that are coming out of their bodies. And you can't do that with SQL. You can, but it's very hard to do something like that with SQL because SQL wasn't built for these kind of tasks. 
Yeah, we're talking about kinds of information that, like you said, it's different than transaction data, right? It's different than like, well, uh, this customer bought SKU number 1146 uh, on December 3rd at 8 a.m. in the morning, and here's the person's address, right? That, that's like, yeah. now when we talk about temperature, you're talking about a you know, the, the pitch of noises coming from, you know, a, a kind of early birthed child. Uh, you're talking about temperature information. It, it seems as though, you know, maybe there just aren't enough ways to categorize and field that kind of information to stuff it into SQL in a way that makes sense. Um, how does that get done, I guess? If, it's not be, if that's not being done by SQL, kind of in layman's terms, how, how would you explain how it would be sorted? Most people are familiar with the old way the databases are done. Where are we tucking all that information that's so hard to you know, quantify in the same basic way as a transaction? Yeah, so to explain the question, uh, I, I'd like to go to an analogy that I use to uh, communicate uh, the power of this new platform. So I, I, I refer to this new platform, uh, the data lake, the data hub, as we prefer calling it, as the smartphone of big data. So mm. what, what, do, what do I mean by that? What is the power of a smartphone compared to a digital camera? A digital camera can only take pictures. And that's that's the analogy here is SQL is pictures. So so a digital camera can only take pictures, and that's the only thing that it does. The power of our platform is that it can take pictures, meaning it can do SQL, but it can do a lot more than that at the same time, which is the same power of a smartphone, right? The power and convenience of a smartphone is once I capture a picture, once I, once I capture that data, meaning take a picture, I can now do many, many things with that picture, right? I can process the picture. I, there's now Photoshop that you can run on your phone. I can email it, I put it on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. Versus when you take a picture with a digital camera, that's it. <laughs> if you take the picture and you're done, you cannot do any more stuff. Yeah. And, and that's really the power of our platform. So uh, in other words, in this example of the neonatal intensive care, we still use SQL at the beginning, and SQL is used at the beginning to aggregate the different signals coming in and count them and tabulate them. But then, after we did the simple part, which is counting stuff and creating features that we can build our data model on, we can now shift and use uh, Spark, which is a programming language, a, a distributed processing programming language, to analyze these uh, counts that came out of SQL and produce the predictive model that uh, decides whether the baby is upset with the light or with the temperature or wants to eat. So the power of this platform is really not just the fact it can process different types of data, uh, like which is very important, but it can bring different types of computation together to solve bigger problems. So SQL is still part of the mix, but it's not the only part. It's, it's coupled with different other parts like Spark, like Search, like MapReduce that make it easier for us to try to do what we want to do. Yes, and, and what we want to do in many regards, is, as you were sort of pointing to, and this is going to be rolling us into our next question, is predict things or yeah. run, you know, run various other machine learning applications, whether that be you know, something in, in machine vision for diagnostics, whether that be... I believe what you were just talking about, which is sort of interpreting sensory data, for lack of better terms, um, yeah. through through some kind of a previously constructed expert filter to determine uh, how to fulfill the needs of, of this child in a particular circumstance. You know, we yes. may want to uh, predict, you know, the results of different marketing campaigns or different types of campaigns over time, you know, in order to determine where to, to spend our advertising money. I imagine you've had to explain on a number of occasions sort of the value of 
this lake when it comes to the machine learning applications within a company. You know, whether it be healthcare, finance, whatever the applications are, um, if yeah. a company's if a company's leveraging their data in a machine learning context, like you said, SQL not really built for you know that kind of statistical hardcore work. What what is the role of a data lake in those bigger machine learning applications? And are there any other maybe examples you can walk people through? I love to hear examples for the for the business audience tuned in. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, first, this is a very, very powerful platform uh, that can be used for many things, right? So when people ask, uh, if you take the analogy of a database, what can you use a database for? I can use database for a lot of stuff, right? Yep. Whatever <laughs> across you many, yep. across, across many, many industries. What can you use an operating system like Linux for? I can use Linux for a lot of stuff. So we are not maybe low level as Linux. We're a bit higher level, but we can be used for many things. Yeah. Uh, that said, we worked with many uh, companies over the last eight years, and three key themes have emerged like three key use case themes emerged love it okay. and and these three themes fall into these three categories which i'll explain each one of them in a bit more detail uh, the first one is what we refer to as customer 360 customer 360 hmm. or how can we drive better customer insights and i'll come back to that in a second uh, the second one is the internet of things which is an acronym of how can we use our data from the real world to make our products and make our services much better at what they do. And uh, yeah. I'll explain that in a second. And then the last key category that uh, business applications tend to cluster around is how can we lower business risk? And lowering business risk includes a number of sub-use cases like fraud detection, like cybersecurity, uh, like risk modeling for economies. And I'll, I'll come back to that. So what do we mean by customer 360 or driving uh, customer insights? We in the data world, over the last uh, 20 years, we came up with a very ugly hack. And we came up with that hack or with that trick because we did not have systems that scale. So we couldn't handle the million users, 10 million users, 20 million, million users that we have. So instead of handling all of them and building predictive models for them, we, we came up with what's called segmentation. And segmentation was the trick. We said, we're not going to try to target all of our users. Instead, we're going to try to map our users into one of a few segments, married with children, married without children, this income level, that income level, this age group, that age group, living here, living there. So we, we try to map all of our users into one of these segments, and then we do our targeting and our fraud detection and our offers, et cetera, et cetera, advertising campaigns based on these segments. And, and that trick was a good trick. It helped us kind of move along as an industry, but it had a big problem. Is It leads to a lot of uh, what we call false positives, meaning we, we end up making wrong recommendations to people because they just simply happen to fall into that segment. As an example, uh, I am a male. Uh, I am in the age range of uh, 40 to 50 years. And frequently, a few years ago, uh, the number one type of ad I would see online is ads for golf. But uh, I don't like golf. I don't play golf. <laughs> I don't watch golf. Me neither. Yet, yet I would still get these ads all the time because of the segment that I fell into. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, I really, really, really like video games. I'm a video gamer. I like to play many different types of video games. And I would never get video game ads. But my son, who is 18 years old, he would get the video games ad all the time. And I have to go ask him, what did you see? <laughs> yeah. Right. And the reason why is because, again, I was not being mapped to the segment that is the primary kind of consumer of uh, video games. And 
that hack, that segmentation hack, is what has been eroded over the last few years. Now, many companies are realizing that that doesn't work, and that leads to much more less effective campaigns, at least to less effective uh, targeting, at least to less effective upselling and cross-selling, less effective churn prediction, meaning predicting whether you're going to use a given user, uh, lose a given user from your service. So what everybody is doing right now, and what our system enables because of the scale it can operate at, is building segments at the level of segment of one, meaning for every single customer, for every single user, we are building a model for them. What they like, what they don't like, what they read, what they don't read, what they click on, what they did click on, what they did not click on, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And based on, based on that, we can do much more accurate uh, targeting, much more accurate prediction of whether that customer is happy or unhappy or might leave us, and hence we should send them an offer to try and retain them, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the number. That's one of the most common trends in the industry that's being enabled by this technology. Got is it. What, is the segment of one. Okay, I, I like this. this. I want to I just dive into that for one second, Amber, just because sure. I realize some of this is, is new for, for the folks tuned in. I, I like the fact that we're distilling common use cases. You, know, you guys have, have walked into a lot of firms, both big and small, over the last eight years, and it's nice to see, hey, we're structuring data in a new way. We're allowing for new types of computational problems to be solved. Here's how those problems are generally bucketed in the industries we work with. So we're talking about real business use cases, and it sounds like that's one of the most popular that you guys are brought in for uh, or that you see opportunity for. And I think often, you know, that's to, to me, that sounds as though that's where a lot of the kind of the the revenue comes from, right? I mean, people talk about the, the marketing applications of, of machine learning. You know, uh, I guess everybody admires the Amazons and the Facebooks and the Googles of the world because they do exactly what we're talking about so yeah. much better than most businesses that they continue to make so much more money than most businesses. And, and again, yeah. they, ha they have the data to continue that cycle. I guess what you're getting at is that more and more companies are realizing if we can pull it together enough information on a grander scale, we can start to dial things down per person in terms of offers, et cetera. So this is so customer 360, this is sort of one type of use case that you guys have seen a lot of. I like I like to have that put in a nutshell. That's excellent. Um yeah, walk us through the other one as well. The other two. Yeah. yeah. So the second the second one is the how can we improve our products and services using data, or sometimes we refer to it as the Internet of Things. Yes, yes. Uh, and the, the, neo, the neonatal intensive care example I gave earlier is one form of that. Uh, I'll use another example from the insurance, from the uh, car insurance uh, industry. Uh, and uh, that example both highlights using data to improve products and change products, but also actually highlights the segment of one at the same time. So today, in our house, in my house, uh, I have a an okay, a low car insurance premium. I don't pay a very high car insurance premium uh, my, because I'm a male in the age range of 40 to 50, so they mapped me to that segment, so I'm getting a good insurance premium. My son, he is 18 years old, um, and he is getting the highest insurance premium for his car insurance. We have to pay the highest premium every month for him, even though, by the way, my son is a very good driver, right? So he's a very good driver. He's very careful, very paranoid. He never speeds up, always follows the rules. I, on the other hand, I'm actually from Egypt originally. Uh, I oh, was yeah, trained. You, you, guys uh, are, you guys are brutal, man. <laughs> I was trained to drive in, in Cairo, Egypt. And uh, over there, uh, stoplights are more of a hint. 
you can listen to the hint, but you can still yeah. go if you want to. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a it's survival of the fittest, right? I mean, yeah, it's just, exactly. Yep. Yes, and you 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 drive by reading the body language of the cars around you, <laughs> and and hence oh, I, I I break the rules every so oh, and now, one, now one, and again. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here yeah, and there. Yeah. Yeah, I still have the lowest insurance premium because of the segment I belong to. So what many insurance companies now are doing are the telematics around car driving. So they have these devices that you put in your car. And, uh, and they also have apps on your phone instead if you don't want to put the device in your car. But then what, what they do is they measure how you're driving. They measure how you're speeding up, how you're slowing down. Are you stopping at the stop uh, signs? Are you stopping at the stop lights, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And based on that, they can build a much more accurate model of the likelihood of having an accident, not because of your age or the color of your car, but rather because of how you actually drive. Right? So in this world, my son gets a much lower premium than, than I do because he is a very good driver. And I get a high premium, which is I'm going to be upset about, and hence would force me to start driving in a much better way. So it's actually a win-win uh, in the end. So this is one of the examples I like to share because it, it's, it's both how are we using data to, to change our business and change our industry, in, in this case, the car insurance industry, but at the same time, the segment of one as, as well, happening at the same time. So it's both effects happening at the same time. Uh, yeah, that's that's good. I, I really like again putting tangible analogies to this uh, or, or sort of examples. Amber, this is this is I think what people need to to tune into and think about is essentially what other you know any other industry. When you talk about Internet of Things, people say, "Oh, I, I don't make wearables," or "Oh, you know, I don't make vehicles." Um, but if you if you have various and sundry data that that could be or is collected from some kind of product in some way, shape, or form, are there ways to pull that in? To improve or refine what you're doing, and insurance, I guess, is a is an easy example to explain there, but certainly by no means the only one. I mean, I gave an example from health earlier. I can I can give yeah. examples from every single industry you could think of. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that smart devices and uh, sensors are invading every single industry you could uh, think of. So, oh, yeah. for example, for example, we have another customer who is in the uh, vegetables shipping industry. So they ship vegetables. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hot market right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I want. I when I become an investor, man, I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna invest in in like in it, uh, avocado farming, shipping people. Yeah, man. So okay, yeah. so they so they ship vegetables. Yeah, they ship vegetables across uh, the, the country, and 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 uh, you would you would say like, why would these guys need big data, and what the heck is going on? And yeah, they they have refrigerators that they store all of this produce in on its way, and they have trucks that also have uh, refrigerators in them, and they have essentially a, a big problem is if one of these refrigerators, one of these big containers. Uh, goes busted, all of the produce in there will get spoiled and will have to be thrown away. So it's a major loss for them whenever that happens. Uh, so now they have, again, sensors that they put on all of these different trucks and cooling warehouses where they can now predict ahead of time whether a failure is going to take place. And that helps save them tons of money because now they can start moving out. Either they can maintain the location before the failure happens or they can move out the contents so that when the failure happens, nothing gets uh, spoiled. Yes, so that's okay. another example. Got it, got it. And this is, this is, again, a bit of a predictive element with the data that they already have. So, hey, we've had this happen to, you know, 50 trucks in the last, you know, six months. We've had these kind of like small hiccups or big hiccups with the refrigerating systems. Yeah. What has happened with the amount of weight on these trucks? How old have these machines, have the refrigerators been? You know, what, what stations were they stocked at? How long was the drive? And what do we need to avoid doing? And what are the, what's going to kind of flag 
these future occurrences. And I guess what you're getting at is if you keep collecting enough of that information, you can keep those emergencies from happening and being able to stop that, you know, in the first place. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and you, you ask about like, what's one of the, why are data lakes so useful for enabling machine learning? Data lakes are so useful for enabling machine learning because machine learning, by definition, the more features, the more inputs you can give it, the better it becomes. Yeah. Right? So in fact, data. Um, Google has this very famous data uh, paper, sorry, called the unreasonable effectiveness of data. And in that paper, they made this very strong uh, claim with proof behind it that the smartest algorithms in the world can be beaten by much simpler algorithms yeah. if you give the much simpler algorithms stronger, uh, bigger data. Yeah, and it, oh man, and what's interesting is that to the best of my knowledge, you know, it's it's been that's sort of been the supposition of machine learning since yeah. kind of ten years ago before it was cool. But now yeah. that stuff is just it's proven out so well because of the companies and 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 the, the 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 proliferation of data itself. So I guess what you're getting at is yeah, if you want to have better models, you, you clearly have to be able to use all the information on hand, not just simple transactional stuff. So having exactly. a lake makes that accessible. We we do still have exactly. enough time to cover your last example and I'm interested in this other category of use case. I think anything that's going to open the minds of the business audience to think through, you know, where does a data lake and uh, play its role uh, in in sort of aiding machine learning? Walk us through that that last example. Yeah, so the, the last uh, common uh, business use case in the industry is uh, around what we call lowering business risk, and there's a number of sub uh, exam uh, sub kind of categories that fall under that. One is uh, cybersecurity, right? So yes. cybersecurity, trying to predict a um, hacker that is trying to penetrate your network or a, somebody who actually works for you who is copying lots of data to leak it out, uh, it requires collecting a lot of data across many devices, correlating all of that data together to find what we call the anomalies, yep. the weird yep. stuff. What is the weird things happening? And uh, it turns out there is a number of machine learning techniques that are very, very good at doing that. K-means clustering, just doing simple K-means clustering helps you to very easily spot anomalies and find weird stuff happening in my data. Uh, two computers in my network that should not be talking to each other and never talk to each other, now they are talking to each other. I should go look and see what's going on there. Yeah. And uh, so cybersecurity is definitely one of the very key use cases. And with uh, Intel, Intel is our largest investor, by the way. With Intel, we launched a uh, open source project called Apache Spot, S-P-O-T. And Apache Spot is an implementation on top of Hadoop and Spark that uh, allows organizations to very easily implement this, meaning implement a system that collects all types of data happening within their enterprise and then detect anomalies and uh, weird behavior within, within that data. So that's the cybersecurity use case. A very similar and related use case to that is fraud detection, right? Yep. So we have a lot of big banks and uh, credit card companies that use us. I can mention MasterCard. So MasterCard actually has one of the biggest data lakes. <laughs> they have a data lake with not 10 Not surprising, yeah. Yeah not, yeah, not surprising. They have a data lake with 10 petabytes of data in it, right? They're storing all of the transactions that are happening across their network over many, many years. And uh, now, because of the cost and because of the ability to store uh, all types of data, not just the transactions, they are storing, if you have the mobile app of the bank, and the geolocation of the mobile app indicates you are standing right there in front of the, the ATM machine or the payment terminal that was being used, then that location is also being captured. And that helps them now to much more accurately predict whether a given transaction is a fraud transaction or a real transaction. And uh, it helps a lot with the problem like a few years ago, four or five years ago, whenever you would travel, 
whenever you would go outside the oh, country yeah, from which yeah, you got yeah, your credit yeah. card, yep. your first transaction will always be blocked, yep, right? Because yep, they don't yep. know you're there. Yeah. But now they know you're there. So now, now it's less likely that your transaction will get blocked. It's very rare that actually today that when you're traveling that your first transaction uh, gets blocked because they are becoming much more intelligent about building a segment of one for you as opposed to anybody who's traveling block their first transaction, which is what they used to do in the past. Uh, so fraud detection is one of the other key segments. And then uh, the last segment is really about, it's more government related, but intelligence. So intelligence, uh, trying to predict terrorist events or predict cyber warfare requires a lot of this collecting data of all types of sources from social media, from wherever, and correlating all of that to find the needle on the haystack that indicates something bad is about to happen. Yep. And uh, we have a number of government organizations, not just in the US, but outside of the US, that use us for these type of use cases. Got it. Okay, cool. So this is uh, an interesting sort of strata of major categories of use cases. I think that's useful for the people tuned in, again, to think through maybe those three lenses and say, uh, are these areas that might be handy for us or these use cases we might apply? I like anything that's going to open pe- people's minds, and I think that examples do that extremely well. Amber, that's all the time that we have for today, but I, I got a lot out of this podcast. I hope our audience <laughs> did as well, and I appreciate you being here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Sure, my pleasure. It was really fun to talk to you. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.